Next Chapter Podcasts. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The 500. The 500. Talking the 500 until the end Talking the 500 until the end With my man J.M. On the 500 Talking the 500 until the end I get back, honky cat, living in your skiba daba do it that. You're gonna scootily doodly boodly tootly in a scrootily moodily boot. I could do this all fucking day. Is it too early for me to cuss in the podcast? I don't care. Um, man, love it when an album starts with a banger. The song is Honky Chateau by Elton John from his 1972 record, Honky Chateau. Wait, the song's called uh, Honky Cat. Fuck, I fucked it up. I'm gonna keep going. You know what I meant. It's also number 359 out of 500 on the 500 with me. It's my show, Josh Adam Myers. How you doing, Fleece Army? How you doing? Everybody put on your records and hey, let's listen and go on a journey. And we're gonna keep doing it until he quits. Who knows when that will be? He could finish, but we need to join his Patreon. Come on, everybody, join my Patreon, because I need to pay 35 people. Come on, everybody, join my Patreon, because I'm going broke, and you're listening for free. That's right, everybody, listen to that song. For $5 a month or more, you can join our Patreon and support this show, and we need it. I need your help. I'm begging you. I want to finish this, but I need your money. I think the show is worth $5. I think it is. I really do. But if you contribute the $5 a month or more, or even, you know, I think it's like a $20 one. If you love the show, you listen to the show every week, you know, send us messages. Tell us what you like. Dude, I will take all of your suggestions and I will apply them to the show. So go to patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast. And if you cannot afford to pay for the show, then fucking subscribe to the YouTube, please. Oh, guess what? I'm in New York City. Oh, wait, back to that. Subscribe to the YouTube. That's a way to help us uh, if you can't afford the $5 a month on Patreon. So I'm in New York City. I live here now. I am, I'm bi-coastal. I will be back in Los Angeles doing a goddamn comedy jam in late August. Uh, it's going to be a banger. It's in a new venue. I'm really excited about it. You guys are going to dig it. I'll also be starting the goddamn comedy jam here in New York City. 
I'll also be back for my main room show at the Comedy Store. I am by. I'm coming out of the closet. I am by. I am by, by, by. <laughs> but August 5th through the 7th, guys, come see me in uh, Washington, D.C. at the D.C. Comedy Loft. I'll be in Vancouver New Year's Eve at the House of Comedy. I'll also be in Edmonton, I think, in November. And... Um, I need more dates. Silvio, can you please fucking book me on more dates that aren't, like, in the middle of fucking nowhere? Seriously. Did I, did I get real? Probably. Um, all right, let's talk about Elton John. Let's talk about the man, the myth, the one and only Elton John. I, I had no idea how big this dude was. When Morty told me it's seven straight number one records, I was like, holy shit, on a stick. Not even regular holy shit. Uh, this is a dude that everybody knows. And I think it's one of those things where you meet him later in life or in your life or in his life, really, where you see, oh, he's the guy that runs the AIDS charity. He did Circle of Life and, you know, Lion King and, I mean, some great songs. Uh, and, I mean, he really is. We did, uh, what was it called? We did Tumbleweed Connection. And, and man, that, that was a really good one. I did that with my buddy Ron Bennington. And it really showed me um, how... How deep as an artist I think Elton John goes. Because you just know the hits. But when you hear these like off albums, you're like, wow, this guy's really got something here. This is one of those moments. Even from the beginning of it, you're just drawn in. So being that I'm experiencing Elton John, I wanted to make sure that we got someone that loves, and I mean loves EJ. Who did we find? A legend. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today is Bill Engvall. Incredible stand-up comic. Uh, he is one-fourth of the Blue Collar Comedy Tour uh, with Jeff Foxworthy, Larry the Cable Guy, and Ron White. These are legendary comedians that were one of the biggest comedy tours in the history of comedy. And Bill, let me tell you guys, this dude is one of the nicest dudes you're ever going to meet. Very open and honest. And this couldn't have been a better episode. I, I, I reached out to Emily immediately and was like, dude, this is perfect booking. He loves Elton John. He knows Elton John. He is going to make you an Elton John fan. More than you already were, which is pretty big because you're listening to this. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on all platforms. And if you're listening on Apple, leave us a five-star rating and a review. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. And for all tickets and things, like if you want to come see me at The Stand or The Comedy Cellar or The New York Comedy Club or Gotham or any of the clubs in New York or when I'm in L.A., you want to see me at The Comedy Store, joshadammyers.com. Follow our artist at Young and Sick. Make sure you follow at Young and Sick. He does all the artwork. He is incredible. The guy is making NFTs and he's a millionaire now. So the fact that he helps us out by making this artwork, we love him. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group run by Crazy Evan, uh, who's, motherfuckers, I, I, I just really want him to do some fentanyl. Did I say that? I just lost three listeners. For all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, Nothing left to say, but here we go with 359 out of 500. You know what was mine? You got Hungry Chateau by Elton John. Listen to the episode and then, ooh, join the Patreon.
All right, people, Fleece Army, we have reached our second record by Elton John on this list. So, to talk about Honky Chateau, we have the one and only Bill Engvall, everybody. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here and uh, talking about one of my favorite artists of all. Really? This is this is like, is this this is top three or is this like top 20? Uh, the very first concert I ever went to was Elton John uh, at the Dallas Convention Center when I was in high school and he had just released Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. And this was uh, this was at the beginning of the huge flamboyant costumes, the piano stool toss. And I'll tell, tell you a quick, uh, real quick story. My friend and I got tickets and uh, without incriminating myself, I'll say we prepped ourselves pretty well for the concert. Love a good uh, prep, bro. Lot Love of good prep. a solid lot prep. of good prep. All natural, by the way. Uh, All natural prepping. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so we get to our seats, and we were both just like, "Oh man," because we were seated on the second level behind the stage. And I thought, "This sucks." Well, Kiki D was the opening act, uh, who had one song. I got the music in me. That was it. Uh, and uh, I think she might have played that three or four times in a 20 minute set. <laughs> it's like the uh, it's like that. The Bay City Rollers, the way they only yeah, did. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, you you want to hear that again? You want to hear it again? It's right. Said Fred. It's baby. Dude, baby got back. The Sir Mix a lot greatest hits. Just baby got back. And then 19 remixes of baby got back. Yeah. So <laughs> we so we get in our seats that we watch Kiki D uh, lights go out. Blue spot hits the piano that is literally right below us. Not realize that the way Elton had his stage set up, we were actually 10 feet above Elton John. Wow. And uh, the, the lights go out, the blue light hits the blue velvet on the piano, and he launches into funeral for a friend. And we were gone after that. That was it. That was it. That's that was your moment. We were like, we literally were the little teenage girls screaming and. Uh, it, it was probably one of the greatest. I, I take that. It was the second greatest concert I ever saw. The first one was uh, Eric Clapton and Steve Winwood at the Hollywood Bowl, which was amazing. Break me a higher love. Yeah. Da -da 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 -da. Did you do that? Oh, yeah. And the oh, the yeah, great thing about that concert was there was no, like, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome. They just walked out and started flip-flop playing Cream and uh, 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 Cream and uh, I'll just had a senior moment. Uh Spencer Davis, traffic. Traffic, yeah. So the only bummer was he played Layla acoustic. That was the only bummer for me. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was like, okay, it's nice, but that's not what I wanted to hear. But Elton did never disappointed. I mean, it was probably one of the hottest, tightest bands I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Nigel Olsen, D. Murray, Davy Johnstone. Uh, I mean, you just, it was Ray insane. Cooper at that point. Yeah, yeah it was Cooper insane. Percussion. So my, my, now I was going to say Billy Joel, my Elton John concert experience was literally pre right before the pandemic, maybe when he was on the goodbye yellow Brick road farewell tour. Right. And uh, my agent <laughs> just shows you how much my agent appreciates me. They got me tickets, but they got them from me. I was literally behind the stage. Like <laughs> I could, I could only see the back of him. And when the, when the piano would keep going side to side, it would move. And like, he'd come to our side for a song and be like, ah, wait, we see his back. 
And it, but it was great. It's like going to see Elton. It's it's one of those dudes that you're like, I have to go see this guy before he dies or before I die. You know, I'm always going to be disappointed that I never saw Neil Diamond live. And I know uh, he's. Not I got to see him at the uh, at the uh, the Greek, which was it was amazing. Yeah. If you kept your eyes closed. Uh, <laughs> but if you open them and watch, uh, Neil had gotten real Vegasy, you know, like every song after song would end, he'd go, you know, yeah, but Elton did that now. Now, Bill Elton did that too at the show. After every song, he stood up and just went, Yeah, he, yeah, every... see, that, that, that's why I love that's why my argument with my kids and everybody is. The, the younger the artist is, the more I think they're not as into that kind of stuff. You know, like when I saw Elton at the Dallas Convention Center, there was none of that. Yeah. I mean, it was just once they started, it was. But I, you remind me, I have to tell you my other famous Elton John story. When Elton, when Elton John toured with Billy Joel. Yeah. So two of my favorite artists. Uh, I said, I told my wife, I said, we're going. You know, I had established enough of a name that I knew I could get us like, you know, right there. <laughs> My neighbor goes, "Hey, we're going, but uh, we got a we got a ticket connection." I go, "No, I I got I got tickets. Don't worry, we'll, we'll get that." And she goes, "Well, we already got. They're center, center row. We're gonna be great. We're and on we the did, piano. We are yeah, on the piano. Yeah, literally, yeah. <laughs> Elton will be singing to us, and everybody else just watching. So we get to the concert, and we're and I looked at the tickets, and I went, I looked at my wife, and I said, "This is not good." Oh no, we were literally two rows from the back wall of the forum. Oh. And I had to watch Elton John and Billy Joel on a screen. And to say I was pissed is not even close. I, to this day, have not spoken to those people because yeah. I had to watch the whole thing on a screen while I'm watching everybody else on the floor just rocking out. And uh, it was like, I, I never go to another concert with another couple. It's just me and my wife or me by myself. That's it. Yeah. Oh, you. if it's a show that you want to see, make sure you always get the good seats. Spend yeah. the money. It's always worth it to all the Fleece Army. Don't be cheap on buying something that you're going to remember. Yeah, there's an old saying that just because it's cheaper doesn't mean it's better. Oh, God, yeah, dude. God, yeah. I should have paid for Elton. I mean, listen, I, I you can hear it. He sounded great. And I, what's so funny is that it was his farewell tour, but I think he's doing 19 more farewell tours. Yeah, he's, he's, he's on the Eagles retirement plan. Yeah, which is great, which is great. I am bummed about Neil because that Greek theater show that you're talking about, I think oh. was probably the 40th anniversary of hot August nights. And yeah. like everybody I'm, was singing. It was the, I'll tell you what was even better than almost the show was the older ladies that were wearing their shirts to say diamond gals. Yeah. And they were like in their sixties. And oh. I was thinking, wow, you know, even at my age, I could probably pick somebody up here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> That's where you go, man. Elton turns them on. My friend Greg Chait's mom was obsessed. I mean, just he and I, to be honest with you, I think he was in the jazz singer and a younger Neil Diamond, gorgeous, gorgeous man. Uh, American Neil. He's the Jewish Elvis, John. He is. He is. I know. But and he did a Christmas. Although Elvis album. never wrote songs for the monkeys. That was his only <laughs> down <Or> for himself. <laughs> So let's talk, let's focus this on, on Honky Chateau because, because this is my second Elton John record to really listen to all the way through. I mean, I've skimmed through some other ones. I know all the hits. Um, what was the first one? Uh, it was Tumbleweed Connection, which, oh. which, which, which here, and we did that. I don't know if you know Ron Bennington. We did it from, uh, from Ron and Fez fame now from Bennington on Sirius XM. He's a great buddy of mine, yeah. lover He's of music and appreciator of Elton and all things rock and roll. And my thoughts on this and, and correct me if I'm wrong. I think this is a great record. 
Uh, I think this is uh, is making me a way bigger fan of Elton. I love that it's funky, uh, but I just am a way bigger fan of Tumbleweed Connection. I think, and I yeah, know. I mean, that, uh, there's arguments to be made for that. I, I would say that my, while Honky Chateau was very influential in my life in high school, I got to be honest, Madman Across the Water was just, uh, that was. That's the one? That, that was, that, that, that's, a, I mean, leave on, you know, go down the, there's like, I think on Honky Chateau, there was really only two or three radio hits, what I would call. Yeah. But, uh, but Madman Across the Water was that. You know, I, I'll, I'll tell you a great story that just to get. All right. So a few years back, uh, because of the blue collar comedy tour and all that, uh, I had kind of gotten involved with the professional bull riders because I was born rural and raised rural. And so we were going to sponsor a bull call. Here's your sign. <laughs> and nice. so one, I was, uh, the president of PBR said, Hey, I'm in Reno. Can you come up and have a meeting about this? And I said, yeah. So I flew to Reno and I'm meeting the president of the PBR and he goes, Hey, do you mind if this other guy joins us? And I said, yeah, no problem at all. I said, who is it? And he goes, Bernie Taupin. And I said, wait, like Elton John, Bernie Taupin. And he goes, yeah, he's big. Apparently Bernie Taupin at the world championship bull. He's a big bull breeder. He loves the, the idea of rodeo. So we sit down and it's literally the president of PBR, me, and then Bernie Taupin. And I am literally fangirling out of my mind inside. I had to kind of maintain that kind of like, hey, yeah, how you doing? Good to meet you. And so about halfway through dinner, I looked at him and I said, dude, I got to get this out of the way. Mona Lisa's and Manhattan's could be one of the best songs ever written. He goes, Oh man, you're a big fan. I go, you have no idea. Oh, and I wow. said, if you'll excuse me for my, I literally ran to the men's room call. I'm in a stall <laughs> calling my wife going, I'm sitting next to Bernie. Taupin, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it, dude. I love I have, Every time I meet rooms. somebody that I love, I always have the exact opposite reaction where I just come on to like, and, I, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> please get away from me. I'm like, all right, sorry, Beck. I hate to bother you with your family. It's he, looks i mean how could the guy not be one of the nicest dudes in the world he's, he's super he's, nice yeah super i mean nice. and you know he didn't give me the usual like oh yeah hey thanks man he was like oh yeah he goes what other songs do you like and i said gray seal oh wow uh holiday in uh salvation i think i'm gonna kill myself and i just started reeling off the songs. he goes wow you are a fan i was like you have no idea because i thought i thought bernie Taupin. i don't know and maybe he's listed i don't i can't say for a fact but he's got to be in the top five greatest songwriters of all time, lyricists of all time. I mean, when, when, when they split Elton John, I, in my personal opinion, the music just became too bubblegum, too pop. Uh, when was that? When was that in his uh, career? Uh, I think when he was it after uh, Nikita came out, uh, uh, Philadelphia Freedom. It was uh, 70. They, were, they, they had were, like a break about 76. But really, the thing that people forget is it only lasted a couple of years. Yeah. People but it just seemed like a forever. schism. Right. Yeah. Because the, the, the output was so dense. Like everybody in the 70s, they put out, I was like, people in the, even if you were the biggest band in the world, Kiss or whoever, you put out like two albums a year. Elton put out like four albums in 1971. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was like an unlike just the concept of how much went into being in a career and constant touring was crazy. So when somebody took a break, even for like six months or a year, it was like an immeasurable loss. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. In, yeah. in the charts. Well, you know, and you know, when a team like that is so good, and that was one of the rubs that I think that, that Elton and Bernie ran into early on was they were getting categorized into that 
singer songwriter kind of category. And, uh, but I, I, I just amazed me. Like, I don't know if they are the people listen to know uh, rocket man from when Bernie handed uh, Elton the lyrics 10 minutes later, they had the song. I mean, that's, that's when you're on the same wheel, you know, you're, you're, you know, it's like, and uh, just the, I just loved, Alex, I don't want to jump into do too big a deep dive, but what I love is I always love, like my wife always tells me, she goes, you know, you're interesting about music because you don't just listen to music. You hear music. Yeah. And, and I really do. And I, and I listen, every comedian wants to be a rock star, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and vice versa. But like when I listen to songs, uh, Elton John, like uh, Sweet Painted Lady, you know, it's it's really if, if you if you can get once you get past the outstandingness of the music and you just like a lot of times what I'll do is I'll just get the lyric sheet and just read it without listening to the music first just to see. And like, you know, like uh, I think I'm going to kill myself. And, and a lot of people don't like like I look at Mona Lisa's and Manhattan's. Basically, the theme of the song was that people are in just a big rush to get nowhere, you know, uh, and, and I and I was telling my wife last night, she was asking me about this. And I said, I'm really looking forward to it. I said, because this song is applicable today. I mean, we are in just such a rush to get anywhere. So when you find someone that is not in that big, uh, big rush, you, you, you want to hold on to them because they're, they're more like you are. Yeah. And uh, so for a song and, and you know, this is the thing. What are we, 70s, so 80s, 90s? How, how many decades has Elton John been, you know, there? I mean, it's like, it's crazy. How, in fact, there was a, if, I often wonder, because when the Beatles broke up, uh, Elton kind of stepped into that role of the, the biggest British act to come across during the 70s. But when the Beatles broke, you know, they were they were top of the charts. And then, yeah, then they split up. And this and that was about the time that Honky Chateau came out. And I really think that Honky Chateau was a turning point in Elton's career, at least for me. It was because he had moved from that kind of folk uh, rock and, and it just had become this icon of uh, of just, you know, you look at his band like the Honky Chateau was the first album that that Davy Johnstone became a, a regular member of the band. And you had, uh, the, I think it was uh, the drummer, uh, was uh, Nigel was Olson. The, Nigel Olson, thank you. Was like the, the inventor of the, the offbeat. You know, it, if you listen to great old albums of Elton John, you can hear, it's not like one, two, three, four, five. It's, it's like one, two, three, four, five, six, you know, and that had never been heard in rock music before. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. 
For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Yeah. yeah. Prior to that, he played with Spencer Davis Group. Yep, I believe it was after right. Steve Winwood, but yeah, but he and... Uh, and D, I believe, played the rhythm section for at least some point with Spencer Davis. Well, Morty, do you want to let's let's just dive into it because we got I, I can tell you got a lot to say about this. So so okay, let's you know. get us up. So we go Rele- released on May 19th, 1972 on Uni Records in the Americas and DJM Records in the UK and produced by Gus Dudgeon. This is the fifth studio album by the British singer, songwriter, pianist and composer. Born Reginald Kenneth Dwight in Pinner, Middlesex, England in March of 1947 to musically inclined parents who had a complicated and tumultuous marriage. He was soon mostly raised by his maternal grandparents. As a self-taught prodigy, he could play tunes by ear on his grandmother's piano by age four and became obsessed with the first wave of rock and roll. By seven, he was playing more complicated pieces and composing his own melodies and started formal training. By 11, he won a junior scholarship to the Royal Academy of Music, where he studied every Saturday for five years. By 15, he was playing popular songs of the day in a nearby pub, which is about the same time that he unnecessarily started wearing glasses to emulate his hero, Buddy Holly. And by 17, he dropped out of high school and the academy to pursue playing solo gigs and in his own band with friends called Bluesology. In 1967, after answering an ad in the NME, which is the New Musical Express. Great magazine. Great magazine. I love love NME. I love British rock. It's that's where you go, Fleece Army, to find out who is actually making good rock and roll. Or did it then? I don't forget. But there was an ad in the NME placed by a record company looking for songwriters. So he's paired with a younger lyricist who also answered the ad named Bernie Toppin. They immediately formed a partnership employing their uniquely effective separated system of Bernie individually writing lyrics and then handing them off to Reg to quickly put to music. It was about that time that Reg paid homage to two of his bluesology bandmates, saxophonist Elton Dean and vocalist Long John Baldry by taking their first names to create his new one. By the next year, Elton and Bernie were hired by Dick James, DJM Records, as staff songwriters. They began churning out formulaic, easy-listening pop songs for other artists while recording demos. They were soon advised to write more challenging material for Elton to record himself for the label. This led to a single and a UK-only debut album. Amongst the musicians that played on it were drummer Nigel Olson, who would go on to become Elton's touring and recording drummer. Helmed by producer Gus Dudgeon, who would produce all of Elton's classic 70s records, Elton's self-titled second album the following year proved he was capable of delivering both poignant country and gospel tinge ballads with lush string arrangements, as well as occasionally pounding out his beloved rock and roll. And on it, 
Bernie's and his songs finally found commercial success, easily fitting in amongst the singer-songwriter boom of the early 70s, which Bill was alluding to. But unlike those often laid back and mellow artists, word spread like wildfire about the Elton John Band's incredible live show performed as a trio with Nigel on drums and bassist Dee Murray. That energy was captured on a live album later that year recorded while on tour in America. By the way, in England, it's called 171170. In America, it's 111770. If you haven't heard it, it's one of the greatest live albums recorded in New York. It's only three guys yeah, doing everything. Uh, Dude, great. and by the way, they cover the Beatles and the Stones while those songs were still on the radio, which is ballsy for a new performer who people are just hearing about. So in uh, Elton initially became more popular and respected in the U.S., aided by the warm reception here for his two follow-up records, which also brought guitarist Davy Johnston on board and into the touring band along the way. However, while Elton's record company would only allow his band to play on one track together on right. each previous record with session players on everything else, by this one, he demanded to use the four-piece as his core band. Beyond their road-hardened tightness together, Nigel D and Davey had a spectacular backup vocal blend that would become another signature sound, sound starting with this album. So with the ever-present Bernie, they relocated to record this at the converted studio built in the storied 18th, 18th century Chateau d'Elrouville near Paris, France, which also lent the album its title. While they showed up in France with very little material, they quickly established a system Elton later referred to as a Motown factory. Bernie would write the lyrics upstairs, his wife would correct the spelling, and leave them on the piano downstairs where Elton would pick out those he found intriguing, compose the music in like 15 minutes, and then bring them to the band who were waiting to whip them into shape so they could record them. The songs came quickly and the whole album was recorded in less than two weeks. It was, and often still is, considered the most cohesive and accomplished set of Bernie's and Elton's songs. Not only did it carry on with his ascent in commercial success and critical popularity, but it became Elton's first of seven albums to consecutively go to number one in the U.S. <laughs> I just want you to think about that for a second. Yeah, that's pretty insane. Seven albums in a row that went to number one. Okay. Since then, I mean, he's won five Grammys, two Oscars, two Golden Globes, a Tony and the Kennedy Center honor. He was inducted in the Songwriting Hall of Fame with Bernie in 1992, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1994, and was knighted by Queen Elizabeth II. And for don't forget the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Championship of 1984, everybody. He beat out. That's because Chestnut at that year, he, he was... Chestnut was, wasn't in it. This yeah, was, he was the, the 80s. 80s. He, there was, he Retired. That was it. So Queen Elizabeth II knighted him for service to music and charitable services in 1998. He's got 35 gold and 25 platinum albums, 30 consecutive U.S. top 40 hits, has the biggest selling single of all time, has sold over 300 million records and is the most successful solo artist, solo male artist in Billboard Hot 100 history. Who's number He's two? Currently... Who's number, um, I who's believe number two? Madonna, Madonna in a technicality is the second best male artist because Ouch. she just proceeds across gender bias uh, right across the board. The second one, I don't know. Maybe it's a it's tie between Lionel Richie and the, and, and Bay City Rollers. Um, <laughs> and he's currently on his farewell tour after steadily being on the road since 1968. And I'm taking my daughter to see him for a second time on this tour last night at Dodger Stadium. And I can't wait to see everybody there. 
Oh, that is nice. Uh, I saw Guns N' Roses at Dodger Stadium. That was that was really cool. Billy Joel I, brought out Axl Rose. I could have touched Axl Rose. I was that close. I was that close. Thank you, Craig Gass. Um, all right, let's dive into the record. All right, so it opens with Honky Cat. Uh, this is the second single. It reached number eight on the U.S. Billboard chart. Bernie was an actual country boy born on a farm in the rural city of Lincolnshire, England. So with his semi-autobiographical lyrics and City Boy, Elton's R&B-flavored vocals over New Orleans-style boogie-woogie piano, it merged both worlds. I think this is the best song on the record. I, I, I think it's a, a good song. I think it's a really good song. I don't, th- I don't, I don't know that I would say it's the best song on the album. Uh, of course, it, that's the beauty of music is that you know everybody's taste is it, what is, how songs affect people is different. Uh, for me, I mean, Rocket Man was pretty much. Yeah, Just, dude, it's Rocket Man. It's yeah, Rocket it's Man. Not, it's it's I mean, iconic. It's, yeah, but I, I mean, think, but look at it. But but look at it from this, Bill. Is that for me? The only thing I knew on this record, really. I mean, I I had heard this in like passing a little bit, but like to open the record with this, it's so funky. It's so it yes. it's so different than almost anything that's in his like super pop catalog. Uh, it, it just was like, oh wow, this this was great. And yeah, then also, I like, agree that, that it was definitely a, a change uh, for him. And I will say that uh, when I was in high school, I was in the band, which was about as uncool as you could get. But songs like Honky Cat that involved horns and stuff all of a sudden made being in the band kind of cool. And then I moved into uh, the jazz band, and that you know, hon- I would listen to Honky uh, Cat and. Then also the Ides of March and, and, and Blood, Sweat and Tears is what kept me in the in the music industry. Yeah. Uh, as, as, what did you play? Uh, trombone. Oh, wow. The, the I wanted to play trumpet. I wanted to play trumpet or saxophone. But the band director said, I got 100 kids that want to do that. I need trombone players. And there's only one instrument that's less cool than a trombone, and it's a tuba. Uh, when I would go to school, I would ride my 10 speed bike with my trombone attached to the back. It looked like a plane on wheels. And uh, I, I can safely say that the trombone never got me chicks. Even with all that slide, with all that slide action, it prepares you for not having chicks yeah. when you get home. <laughs> I have to ask this because you guys are both a little bit older than me. And with the name Honky Cat, I mean, was there like flack at all for the title, guys? Yeah, like, I never I mean, heard of any. Really? Like, I mean, it's it's because I know it's not like. I don't know. It's just it's just like I you see that and every time I see it now in this day and age, I'm like, oh man, it's like can we can we listen to this album? And it's it's just one of those things. So it, there was nothing about that back in the day. I, just- you know, I, I listen, Josh. I think that uh, I think you and I and uh, we can all agree that our society today has become so uber sensitive about everything. Very. And I think that El- if I had to, if I could speak for Elton, I think he would probably say it was just a title. It was just yeah. it had nothing to do with white or black or, or 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 anything like that. It was just a title. But yet we 
we as a society feel like we've got to, you know, jump on everything. And, 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 and I think that's a sad note because it takes, you know, honky cat was just, I can, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing it in my head and it's just like, you know, it's one of those ones you go, yeah, that was a funky, cool song. I really like that. Really? Yeah. It really and by the is. way, you have to remember that there's honky tonk was a, it was yeah. a term there you of, go. Of okay. country music. Yeah. I, I, so didn't even, I didn't even think about that. Precedent. I didn't even th- no, I didn't yeah. even think about that. That's that that actually Which is makes- where I spent most of my college years was in a honky tonk. Right. So. Really? <laughs> really? Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's talk about let's talk about uh, great openers. Let's talk about uh, just just great times because that's what this song represents. So uh, you and your buddy Jeff Foxworthy and one of my favorite people, Ron White. I do a show called the goddamn comedy jam where comedians do stand up. Then they tell a story about a song and then they sing that cover song with a live band. And uh, Ron did it at the Roxy with like Bill Burr, me, Burt Kreischer. And he sang, give me three steps by uh, Leonard Skinner. I mean, he was, this is him little toasty too. So he's rolling around on the ground wearing uh, one of the Van Zant hats. And then he invited us all back to his house in Bel Air and he's got his drone out and he's like, come on guys, have some tequila. It's like, he's just, it was the greatest thing ever. So I wanted to ask you being that, that, that the blue collar comedy tour was, was so huge. What was your like swan song moment on that, on that first go round? Um, I think I knew it had gotten out of control when we held the record for selling out the Nashville arena in 24 hours. Wow. For comedy, that's unheard of. You just, uh, now we were later dethroned by Bon Jovi, which makes me laugh because Bon Jovi and blue collar comedy, (laughs) you'll never see in the same sentence ever. Uh, But I will tell you a funny story. It's not a funny story, but it was one that I really knew that we were onto something special. Yeah. We were doing a show somewhere in the Midwest, maybe Omaha or something like that. And we had all come from different locations. So we all had chartered planes and we all landed at the airport for whatever reason, the promoter decided to send out four limousines. So we did the show and we pull back into the airport after the show and each limo peels off to a private plane and Foxworthy's plane was right next to mine. And I remember standing on the steps of my plane and I said, Jeff, and he looked over at me and I just said, this is as close to rock and roll as we're ever going to get. Yeah, dude. I mean, it was the moment, you know, yeah, it was literally like, wow, this is, this is something more than just four guys, you know, doing what they do. Uh, That was the great thing about blue and blue collar. Like I remember we were playing in Denver one night and Van Halen was there the night after us. (laughs) <laughs> and so some of the wives, the fact that we're still in the same venues that, that I know, you know it's insane yeah, it's like, it, to hear myself say it out loud. It's like, what are you? Lying? <laughs> so some of the wives had come to see our show because they were in a day early and they said, y'all want to go see the concert tomorrow night? And I said in. And so I think the other guys had to go, they had to leave. So it was just me and my wife and the promoter and we're sitting at the soundboard. And I feel this tapping on my shoulder. I'm jamming. And I feel this tapping on my shoulder. And I turn around and this roadie with a flash goes, come on, I can just take you. And we went running down this aisle towards the stage. And of course, I'm like, what, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. We get to the stage, we go down these stairs. And now I'm in this like inner sanctum of Christmas lights and music. You know, I'm watching uh, Eddie Van Halen right there, like literally two feet from me. And Sammy Hagar goes, hey, man. Heard you had a great show. You got to try my new tequila. So I'm doing tequila shots with Sammy Hagar and down in this little stage room. 
And I'm standing there with, at the edge of the stage, it's like right this high. And I'm looking at Eddie Van Halen just wailing on this guitar. And I go, I, I, I got to get back to my wife. <laughs> and I ran back up. They took me back up there. And I sat down and she goes, what happened? I go, I don't know what just happened, but it was one of the coolest moments of my life. Oh, man. Oh, that gives me chills. <laughs> so Blue Collar, it, it really opened the doors for us, I think, uh, to do stuff that we had never, you know, we, we, we had never even sniffed that kind of stuff. And, and you know, music was funny because it, it, with the blue, it's actually Foxworthy. A lot of people don't know this, but Jeff has got this almost like savant thing that you can tell him the title of a song and he can tell you the artist. I mean, one hit wonders, it don't matter. He just mm-hmm. got this, it's crazy. It's like we, I literally in between gigs, I would try to find the most obscure, you know, songs like uh, by Pilot, you know, uh, stuff like that. <laughs> that he would, he would know, he would just know them. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, I'm that guy. I, I'll, I'll tell you the truth. I'll tell you the truth. The, the, you know, it, it was groundbreaking. I mean, so many other tours kind of came from that basically like, you know, where it's like, well, let's lump these guys together and see it blow up. But I don't think besides you and the Kings of comedy, I don't think there was ever two really big comedy tours that really changed the game more and made stars of all the people involved. Well, so, you know, I agree with you. And I'll, I'll go one step further. It could happen, but I don't think it'll ever happen to that degree again. No, uh, I don't think so either. It's like, it was just the perfect storm. I mean, we hit uh, a demographic that's largely overlooked by the West and East Coast. It is, yeah. And and we were them. We were just four guys that, you know, there was nothing, you know, we were all very talented in our abilities. But, you know, it wasn't like, you know, the... Uh, it was just one of those things that like people just latched onto it because I think a couple of reasons, because we were relatable, uh, you know, it was like you, you, we could have been your next door neighbor. Yeah. You know, we, there was no Hollywood to it. You know, as I tell you this, and I just told you that we're flying private jets. Everybody got their own limo. It's not like we're Pass me the goose liver like real quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, this is Mike Wiebe, and I'm the singer in a band called The Riverboat Gamblers. And I'm Zach Blair. I play guitar in a band called Rise Against. Mike and I also have a band called The Draculas, and we also have this great, amazing new podcast called Zach and Mike Make Three. Yeah, each week we're going to ask ourselves and we're going to ask our guests what three favorite things they are into at that moment or in their entire lives. And then we're either going to agree with them or we're going to make fun of them. And uh, you're going to listen to it and you're going to like it or we will make fun of you. How about that? I just flipped it on you, the person listening to this right now. But we're going to do it every week here on the Sound Talent Network. Once again, it's called Zach and Mike Make Three. Yeah. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. 
Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. But, you know, so but it was yeah. it was uh, just a magical thing. And people keep wanting us to get back together. And I and we've talked, but, you know, my theory is just because you can doesn't mean you should. Sure. Uh, you know, it was a moment. It was a moment in time. And, and we were part of it. And uh, we just we they handed us the ball and we ran with it, you know, because yeah. uh, we didn't know any better, really. I mean, just just go do what you do. And uh it's uh it's it's been a memory that i'll you know i wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if it wasn't for that dude and that i'm so happy that you did it and i'm so happy you're here with us today because i love this this is great morty is there anything you want to add bud yeah i'm going to break it down for this so the intention of the album was to capitalize on what america was responding to as i said it but it was also to break elton's sensitive singer songwriter image because prior to this he was doing like this rootsy stuff and he had these elaborate orchestrations by Paul Buckmaster uh, on the previous album. So people didn't know that this is what he was capable of. So he wanted to debut this powerhouse band to be more rock and roll like he knew he was. And as Bernie said that year, it's going to be a really funky album. It will shock a few people. Oh, it's funky. It is. Guys, okay. have one question, Bill, and I don't mean this at all because I know Jeff has has made his cottage industry of using redneck in right. his act. That's been part of his thing. We talked about honky in this. In this, was there ever an idea that you would call it anything but blue collar comedy? I mean, was there ever like we'll call it the? I mean, you know, did you go well? Maybe we'll call it the you know the redneck, um, or no, the, and then I, just I, went well. That was the uh, because at that point, uh, with the start of the tour, our management was pretty much in control. I mean, Jeff had gone through the stratosphere with his success. Uh, I think probably the biggest mistake that we made was when Ron dropped out uh, and we tried to do it with just Jeff and Larry and me. And it just didn't work. It just, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's like, like I love Vince Gill, but he's not Glenn Fry. You know, it's right. like I, I, nothing against. And so you really couldn't have blue. So we couldn't call it blue collar because, we weren't blue collar anymore. Ron oh, was okay. Uh, so they came up with this to this day. I hate this, uh, this title, the dim idiots tour. Why? Yeah, Cause I don't consider myself an idiot, you know, but they were, they were trying to play on this. They were trying to find a way to kind of, and, and people were you know, like, I can't count the number of shows that we'd be doing a show and someone would go, where's Ron at? You know, we're like, oh, right. okay, it's just weird, but no blue collar was always, uh the 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 title and uh what was funny about it was i can always tell when we do do interviews at radio djs who didn't know who we were because they would always go so you guys are part of that blue comedy tour (laughs) (laughs) that's a whole other comedy (laughs) i remember i remember when here's your sign first came out and travis tritt had done the music for it how, I can't count the number of uh, times that I'd have radio DJs go. So do you and your band travel on a bus? And I'm like, I'm a comedian, dude. No, it's just me. There's no band. They go, Oh, well, we just thought, you know, <laughs> all right, let's move on to mellow. So Maxine Feebleman, that was the name of Bernie's wife at the time. And this was about their happily married life at their mansion in Lincolnshire. Uh, I just want to say, I kind of find this a little weird that Elton is singing a song dedicated to his writer's wife. Am I wrong to think this? Because the lyrics are sweet. 
Lyrics are very sweet. It's not like they're like, you know, sexual at all. Like the hair on your face. Right. You got an ass that don't quit. Like it's well, nothing like that. Uh, he is saying that she's mellow, which is fine, but it's also rocking smooth and slow. And I mean, I guess that's kind of sexual. I don't know. Am I wrong? Is this apt? No, this I don't, question? I don't think so. I, I think that that's a viable question, uh, especially knowing now at the time that Elton has finally com- been comfortable enough with his sexual preference. Uh, you know, I, I think that. And then maybe I don't listen. I'm just talking off the top of my head. But, you know, maybe it was just kind of a tribute to Bernie, you know, like like, you know, let's let's do something different, you know. Uh, and, you know, the other thing is that fact that Bernie wrote the lyrics. So it's, you know, sure, sure. No, like I, no, for 100 percent, 100 percent. I just was like I was listening. So I was like, God, it's like this love song. I mean, it's like here. This is this is about my wife saying the shit out of it. And he yeah, just, right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you have any thoughts? Do you have any thoughts or anything you want to add to the to the, about Mello? What you love, what you dislike? Uh, Mello was okay. It was, you know, uh, I, I'll put it this way: if it were to come out today, you know, like you remember. Uh, now you're too young to remember this, but you know, you, you bought an album. You were lucky if you got one or two songs that you really, really love, but you were stuck with the rest. If I was to buy Honky Chateau today, I doubt I would spend the dollar ninety nine for Mello. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good song. It's yeah, a, it's good, a good, song. good song. It's chill. Just, it, yeah. And it's good. And coming right off of, of Honky Cat, it's a nice, it kind of is more like the Elton that, I, that I've known for years, whereas like Honky Cat was like, boom, just, you know, funky and all this great stuff. So, and that may, you know what, Josh, that may have been a reason for doing it because I don't care, like you, if you want to change your, the way you're perceived, you can do that, but there's a part of you that still wants to hang on to what the comfort zone was. Yeah. And for a long time, that was Elton's comfort zone, was that kind of mellow, uh, you know, folksy kind of, you know, look how wonderful life is. Uh, you know, then, you you know, he obviously made it, you know, when he got the bitches back coming out. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's, but it's still a great song. Morty, is there anything you want to add? Yeah, so you guys brought up Bernie writing the lyrics. So for those of you that don't know, Maxine Feebleman uh, was also a seamstress for the band when Bernie was pursuing her. So she is the inspiration again for Tiny Dancer prior to marrying Bernie. Um, so no yeah, way. everything he wrote. Yeah, uh, she is. I yeah. love Bernie. Isn't he I wonderful? Love Bernie. Bernie's a good, he's a good dude, man. And by the way, yeah, and by the way, a cowboy. I mean, we'll get to that a little bit later. A, a, an actual true country boy. Yeah, yeah, that's you know, why we had tumbleweed. That's why we had tumbleweed connection. Yeah, that's the he whole was, reason behind in, it. Yeah, he was absolutely obsessed with Americana, and prior to even seeing America, I think he was obsessed with it. And also, the organ sound you hear on this record is not an organ. It's Jean Luc Ponty, the violinist. Uh, they only use a lot of French people besides the band, and he's playing through a Leslie speaker, which is with an organ. So that sound how, that always how felt I, like that. I, really I for bad. a second was really praying you were going to say uh, it was it was legend Jean Luc Picard. I was like really really hoping you were going to end. He with was. Picard and not <laughs> he was. There's yeah. ne- there's never going to be another. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll get to Shatner doing Rocket Man. No, we'll get no, to Shatner doing Rocket Man. I'm Shatner. And by the way. I can't believe anybody hasn't seen it, but if, if you ever, to your listeners who haven't, you gotta Google Shatner doing rocket man. Oh my yep. God. That could be one of the classic pieces of film ever. Rocket. He man. looks incredible. Isn't he like 95 and he's still like, <laughs> he looks like he's 60. Like, I don't know if it's plastic surgery or good genes or maybe being up in space. 
All right, let's get into, uh, I, I think this is one we talked about off the air. I think I'm going to kill myself. Uh, uh, and I'm not just saying that, people, because I'm doing fine, everyone. Yeah. As dark as the subject matter appears, this remains musically lighthearted and carries over that boogie-woogie style from Honky Cat. Lyrically, it's more about the melodramatic and moody teenage years where everything is the worst thing that ever happened to anybody, especially heartbreak. Let's play a little bit. Best ooh on the record. I like to see what the paper say on the state of teenage ooh. That's some great harmony there. That is a solid ooh. That is a solid, solid ooh. All right, what do you got, Bill? Well, tell me why what you love, I love What I love is the fact that they come out of this kind of ooh, and then it jumps right back in. It's like there's there, you know, which I think if you want to put a metaphor with that is kind of the teenage years. It's like every, you know, everything's smooth and all of a sudden it's just hell breaking loose. You know, yeah. Jimmy doesn't like me anymore or you won't let me take the car out. And then, then all of a sudden there's this moment of like, okay, we're a family again. And then boom, they're back into. So I think there's a lot of underlying layers to this song. And I think that's what turned me on to it was, you know, a teenager, we all went through with our parents about how you just hate you. You don't know what you're talking about. And, uh, and, and I think that this was a great song to, to highlight that, that, you know, it's like, this is, this is normal. Uh, but for the kid, it's the end of the world, you know, yeah. You know, the, I believe if I'm not mistaken in the lyrics, he talked, the, the, they talk about what, what I, this is what I want. So I don't kill myself. And right. it's, you know, crazy. Like I want a new car or I want, you know, it's like, there's just, there's no understanding the teenage dramatics that go on at all. <laughs> totally. What was your most awkward teenage moment? Oh, wow. I got to pick one. Yeah. Um, besides being a trombone player besides being a, a trombone player in a band I don't know how to get to the band uh, I for whatever reason I was like a parent's dream really I didn't smoke I didn't drink I didn't bust you didn't my prep. Food. I thought you prepped that was, was uh, one diet okay uh, I, I didn't smoke cigarettes let me say that okay, okay there you um, go the uh, but I think for me it was probably we moved alright so here's a little bit of billing ball history I was, I actually was from kindergarten through ninth grade. I lived in Winslow, Arizona, which the only thing that ever came out of Winslow was me and uh, standing on the corner, which was not even written by the Eagles. Um, And I think that when we moved to Dallas, uh, I was just this, you know, I went from a school that the whole enrollment of the whole high school was 300 kids to a school where my graduating class was 1200 kids. So I was just lost. And uh, the band offered, you know, kind of that, uh, they welcomed me in and stuff. But it was just, for me, the awkwardness was just dealing with my sexuality, dealing, you know, uh, you know this and that. And, and, you know, it's an interesting thing because, you know, I can remember being at, I can remember being at the drive-in with my girlfriend and one, one winter night, and uh, at the Tonto Drive, uh, the, the, I'm sorry, not the Tonto. Uh, it was on you know, off Central Expressway in Dallas. The Gemini, Gemini drive-in. And there was a guy in the car next to us. And he and his girlfriend were sitting in his moonroof drinking cold duck, which means he obviously didn't have much money. And uh, he made a move on his girlfriend and the speaker fell off and hit the pole. But he thought it hit my car. And it's like 30 degrees out. Yeah. And so 
the guy goes, oh, man, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm, I'm like talking through the crack in my window going, it's okay, dude. It just hit the pole. He goes, no, no, no. Have this bottle of cold duck. And so my girlfriend and I drank this bottle of cold duck, and obviously she loosened up. But there was that awkward moment, like, we're kissing. And I'm thinking, I don't know what to do next. Because... <laughs> I had had no instruction. My dad, who was a doctor, I thought, hey, I'll, I'll talk to him about sex. He's got all the inside scoop. He gives me a cartoon book to read. So I didn't, you know, it, it, it really wasn't until I got into college that I understood how things worked. So yeah. that was, you know, for me, and of course, then as a, as a teenager, you're thinking, what's wrong with me? I should know what to do. This is like animalistic. And the fact that I wasn't able to, you, know, you start second guessing. And uh, so, yeah, that was, that was a really hard, uh, that would have been my junior year oh my god dude if i if if we did a podcast just on on how many times i've had those kind of awkward moments i mean it's it would feel yeah and i and i think weeks and i think that's going to bring it back to the song i think that's kind of what he's singing is like you know listen you're not if it's almost like it's almost seems to me that it's like he's talking to teenagers going it's okay you know you're, you're this isn't the end of the world just you know, mellow out and, yeah. and everything will work out. Yeah, dude. Listen to mellow. <laughs> and yeah. That, and that, and yeah. now you'll be fine. hundred percent. Uh, Morty, is there anything you want to add? Yeah, there's a quick one on this. Uh, you're not going to hear this often, but the tap dancing track on here, in case you just thought this was Nigel tapping out, it's actually played by legs. Larry Smith, who was the drummer for the Bonzo dog doodah band, which I you, really? you might remember. Yeah. Which Neil Innes was in that band. Vivstantial. They were British kind of comedy act, you know, musical. And he would perform this on this tour in 72. He'd come out and would do the tap dancing track for this song, often wearing a wedding dress. So, yeah, he's also, by the way, George Harrison, George Harrison mentions him on a later song also. But yeah, you don't hear that a lot where they go. Okay, we're going to fly you in. You got your shoes? Okay, cool. Yeah. Right. We have a roadie. Tie the tabs on. So, yeah. This has a hook. You can hear, track, you can hear him going, Where's my shoes? I'm on in five minutes. Yeah. Where's my shoes? Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, so that is that is exactly what you were hearing on this track. Now, when you listen back, you'll be like, that's an actual dude. That's Legs there. Larry Smith. I love that he name. Is. And I also Famous. love Bonzo Dog Duda. I love that. Yeah. That's a, yeah. That's a they good don't dog have name. great band names anymore. No, they don't. Hoobastank. That was the last good one. That was a good one. That was a good one. <laughs> uh, all right. I got to mention Susie because Morty, go ahead and do it. Okay. We, I got in trouble because I mentioned the Farfisa organ. Well, now you'll remember that bill, but I mentioned the Farfisa organ on the doors episode. I was wrong. It was the Vox Continental, but I said Farfisa and Josh and the guest at the time, both were like, uh, uh, it was, it was uh, David Keckner. We're like, what the hell are you talking about? What's a Farfisa? Farfisa. He's just, he El- makes up Elton, things. He makes Elton up plays things. this on Susie dramas. He may he plays the Farfisa organ. You okay. heard it on him. You heard it on 96 tears. You heard Dub, it on every, police yeah, army, yeah. police army, double check the math to make sure it's not a, it's not a Kaluka or whatever the other one he said. Make sure it's a Farfisa. This, yeah. This is a Farfisa on this one. I am sure. Okay. All right. All right. Let's get to the biggie. Let's get to rocket man because the, first of all, the, we got to say the actual title is rocket man. I think it's going to be a long, long time. Uh, this right. first single became Elton's biggest hit at the time. So Bernie was actually inspired inspired by a song called Rocket Man from 1970 by the folk group Pearls Before Swine, 
which was inspired by sci-fi author Ray Bradbury's 1951 short story, The Rocket Man, told from a child's point of view about his astronaut father's hesitancy to leave his family to go do his job, which at that point was a common occupation. I want to tie all of this together. Am I wrong? Did Ray Bradbury create Star Trek? No. Okay, that's no. a totally different guy. That was okay. created by Gene, Gene, Gene Roddenberry. Okay, but there's Barry in it, so you can see why I got why I got yeah. a little in it. All right. So you just this, showed how young you are, by the way. I'm sorry. I'm a baby. But all right, so I, all I can say about this song is is two things. One, this is so iconic. This is a perfect song in every uh, way, shape, and form that music has been created. When uh, human beings are gone years from now, uh, if they can uncover this, it, it's it's just it's so beautiful, and I think it represents so much about what's beautiful about life. The reason I really enjoy this song was when I talked about the goddamn comedy jam earlier. At one of our earlier shows, there was a uh, a gay comedian named James Adomian. He's an incredible per per uh, what do you you uh, impressionist, right. and and he he sang this, but he told this very beautiful story prior to it about being a gay teenager in a small town and how this song had helped him. Uh, feel like he was normal and feel like there was a bigger world out there than just what he was experiencing that in that town. So every time I hear it, and it was like people were crying and he was crying as he sang it. It was just, it was gorgeous. And it added such a layer to this song more than like, like you said, like, you know, Bill, it's like, you know, we hear it, we feel it. Some people experience music differently. Uh, since that moment, this song has hit me uh, in the feels to a place where I'm just like, this is, so incredible. So I wanted to ask both of you guys, why is this song so special? Is it the music or is it the lyrics? I would say it's a combination of both. I think the music is just gorgeous. Uh, but I also think that Rocket Man not only uh, talks about, you know, like, a, but I think it's, it's just more about aloneness, like being whether you're on earth or whether you're an astronaut going to the moon or whatever, that we've all been through that period in our time when we're just alone and you don't know how long this loneliness is going to last. And are you going to come back from it? And I think that that for me was one of the reasons I've kind of latched onto the song was, you know, I wasn't an athlete, you know, I wasn't the cool kid. It was just like, you know, I, I remember a lot of times just, thinking, wow, when is this going to change? Because, you know, yeah. and it, uh, and I, it, I also find it fascinating that uh, this song was written and then 30 years later, we're sending people to a space station. You know, yeah. it's like, it's crazy. The, you know, the parameter the parallels of this song, but for me, it was more about just being alone. And, 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 you know, are you, you know, like, like when I went off to college for the first time, it was just like, your parents are gone, you know, and you're with your buddies party and stuff, but there's always that, that downtime where you're just like, I, I just miss my family. I miss, yeah. you know, cause this was pre cell phone, all that. And, you know, so internet, we didn't have internet. And it was like, you just, uh, I think he, I think Bernie really captured that, that aspect of life of just the loneliness you can go through at times. I assume there's an alienation, you know, especially as comedians, there's that feeling that you are on the road. Yeah, oh, on the road. I was in St. Louis. 
I was in yeah. St. Louis two weekends ago, and I, I mean, if it wasn't for my my opener, who is a buddy here from L.A., I, I would have been stuck in a in a shitty Best Western in, in yeah. St. Louis, not being able to get barbecue, not being able to get concrete ice creams at the Sklar Brothers. Or just have a conversation. Oh, well, I mean, well, we just experience that i was funny as you were saying about the loneliness in this it was like man we the whole world just went through that for the last year and a half in certain parts of the world you know where well, it's you like know, we're all i'll tell you josh uh, i and i've said this in interviews before uh there's there's a uh, a pretty rampant alcohol and drug problem in the comedy and yeah. i one of the reasons that i've kind of settled on and you know and listen i went through that i i had there was nights that you, you know, I would come home from the, go to the hotel from the club and I'd look at the phone and there'd be 18 numbers and I had to pick my nine out of them, mm-hmm. you know, just cause I was seeing double, but what I, and it wasn't cause I enjoyed drinking. Uh, I don't think anybody really enjoys getting drunk. Uh, it's, and I used to tell people, I go, here's what nobody understands is that for 90 minutes, I've got 2000 new best friends. We're hanging out, we're laughing, we're having a great time. And then they all go home. And like you said, you go back to some crappy Best Western and you're sitting in a room by yourself and that's hard to wrap your brain around. I mean, it's like you just want some, and I don't travel with an opener. So, you know, I've been blessed now that I'm able to fly home after the show, which is great. But there was a lot of years, a lot of dark years where you just, you literally drank just so you would sleep the next day away in time to go to the show that night. And oh, yeah. of course the club owners weren't going to stop. You know, if I said, Hey, I want a shot of tequila from stage, you know, they're, they're happy they're because it. now everybody else is going, Hey, yeah, I'll have a shot too. Or they're buying me shots and now I got to do them. And uh, I, I remember a, a specific night uh, in Columbus, Ohio at the funny bone comedy club. I was just there. Was uh, just there. <laughs> this was back when it was out at the place called the continent. And I was outside in between shows, uh, having a cigarette and uh this kid came up to me he goes hey man we saw you last time we came back i said hey that's great man he goes you gonna drink as much on stage as you did last time and i remember i remember he walked away and i thought to myself he's not here to see me do comedy he just wants to see some good old boy get drunk yeah and uh you know and i thought i was funnier it's like it's it's yeah the the loneliness of the road i don't think until you've done it you have no concept of what it is because it it literally is you staring at four walls or getting a crick in your neck from watching ESPN for 12 hours. <laughs> you're not wrong. And that's if you're well-adjusted. Like, yeah, let's, let's yeah. not and talk if you about, I've gone through breakups on the road. Yeah. Ugh. And that's like, you know, then you add that other alienation of like, not just you have your family, you know, but like you're nursing a, you know, a heart wound while you're on right. the road and it's like playing. And I, mine was band related, but it was that same thing of, of being out there of like the worst it's like you yeah. like the complete ill. You literally feel like you are alone in a capsule and it's torture. Yeah. And and there's and the thing is, it's like I used to tell people, you can't, you know, and band people know this too. It's like like when I would tour, like I toured with Reba and, and some country acts, and I did a bus. There's nowhere going out. It's like the show's over, you're in the bus and you're driving through the middle of the night, and uh you wake up in the next town, you don't know where you're at, and it's like uh, it can really start to weigh on your, your psyche a lot. Yeah, a lot. A and lot. I think that's why you see a lot of, uh, also you see a lot of uh, cheating and, you know, uh, band people knows, especially, you know, it's like 
these little girls are there and you're on stage and you're, they say all the right things. And if you're not really ready, it can get hold of you quick. Very, yeah. very. I think you also very. have to remember this song. It says it right there. The lyrics are, I think it's going to be a long, long, long time. time. That's like a really, that's just, cause we always forget about that. And I think it's going to be a long, long time yep. that there's something to that. I mean, Bernie might have, because Elton, just so you guys know, Elton would sometimes look at the lyrics and he would take a chorus or a verse and he would just put it where he wanted it because the thought is Bernie wrote a complete song, Elton took it and wrote it. But he would look at it and he'd go, that's a great intriguing thing. That's a great intriguing thing. Maybe we'll move right. a couple of things around. So it could have just been long time and Elton scanned it for a double syllable. But just in, the, in that, it, yeah. what that says is it's not just, oh yeah, I'm, I'm up in space. It's, oh this is the one <laughs> like, well, and you know, you could, you know Morty, you could almost read into that too, that it's going to be a long, long time. But the, for me, the subtext is, and I don't know if I'm going to be coming back. Yeah. I don't know if I can come back from this. Yeah. You know, that would, that's like, I, I will tell you an interesting story about the it kind of relates to the space thing that uh, this last uh, winter, I was playing golf with a guy who flew and landed the space shuttle three times. Oh, wow. And I, I said, what was it like when you were strapped in that chair and those rockets were firing off? He said, you literally have the thought I may not come back from this, mm -hmm. you know, and it was amazing. Uh, you know, you know, like he said, it's, he said, when you're out there, he said, you, we can't conceive of the vastness of space. And so he said, you know, I didn't kind of look at that song that uh, Mars ain't the kind of place to raise your kids. You know, it's like, there's no normal here. This is not, this is not even close to being normal. And here I am at this point in my life. What, you know, am I going to be able to make, come back from this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Morty, is there anything you want to add yeah, to this? Me, I'll tag this. Yeah. I'll, I'll get this one out quick. So the added inspiration is Bernie saw either a shooting star, or a distant airplane is how we sort of came up with it. So he's driving to his folks house and it's like an hour flight. He comes up with the first verse. So he has to repeat it in his head the whole time for an hour to remember it. Cause he said, like, if I don't write it down, I don't remember. And right. he's in the car and he comes up with, she packed the bags. That's nice. Pretty fine. And he's doing this in his head, the entire drive to his parents to make sure he doesn't forget the first line. And uh, one, uh, one, another interesting point is Eldon would come in. He played piano and vocals on this. And then he left. Gus Dudgeon completed this song back in England. He put the overdubs on for that. Uh, David Henshaw was the engineer, recorded the ARP 2500 synthesizer, which was sort of big at the time. It was real new sounding. So everything past Elton singing and playing piano, he didn't even know what was going to be on oh, the track. Oh, wow. After oh, that, man. Which That's I think cool. is really Good cool. Tidbit, so Morty. Good Gus Dudgeon, yeah. Gus Dudgeon, uh, it, sadly, he passed away in a, in a, in a car accident, in a, in a car accident. Uh, very young age but all those records such an integral part of elton's entire history he did every record from the 70s for elton so yeah so shout out i mean to you, know, you look at the stuff that was in the musically the stuff like there's that one uh there's a part of the song where i don't know what the instrument but it literally goes you know, it's like it, that's the arp 2500 yeah it's like that you take that out and I don't think it's the same. It's just that everything came together musically and lyrically. And if you pull one thing out, it's not the same song. And the backup yeah. vocals. So you guys know, yeah. this is a song. When you listen back to this song, think of this. These are three guys that are in his band. This is Nigel D and J Davey. 
they came up with this blend that started on this album, the coalescing of that vocal blend. You'll hear now on the, it sounds like the Beach Boys, you'll hear it on Goodbye Yellow Brick Road mm -hmm. and you'll hear it on these other records. Someone Saved My Life Tonight, that kind of stuff. That oh, ah, great is, it's so incredible to go back and listen to this just for the backup vocals on this song, if you guys get a chance. Yeah, it's a great song. Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Yeah. Um, all right, I want to mention, I just want to, because I say probably the best chorus, in my opinion, on the record is Salvation. It's just so powerful. It definitely sounds like something off a of Tumbleweed Connection, but let's mm -hmm. get to Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's. So inspired by the 1960 Benny King song, Spanish Harlem and Bernie's first visit to New York. This is one of Elton's personal favorites. I can see why. Along with praising the surprising kindness found from someone in the city, it also illustrates the disparity of wealth between people who live in the same place and the determination it takes to make it there. Uh, this is the Elton that I know and love. Uh, the, the power ballad, Reggie. Such a great song. Such a what great. a great song. God. Yeah. Why do you love it? Why what's 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 your favorite stuff about this? I I just love the the idea uh and I am gonna try to get the lyrics right. The sons of lawyers, sons of doctors, sons of lawyers turn around and say good morning to the night, which just means it just never stops. Yeah. You know, it's like this we're in this I I always listen to this song and uh, the visual that comes to mind is a gerbil in a wheel that's just going and going, but he's not going anywhere. And they never, you know, the time, the few times I've been to New York city, you know, the sun never hits parts of the sidewalk. You know, it's just, people are just rushing everywhere. And it's just, I remember saying tell my wife, I go, this is really fun to visit here, but there's no way I could live here. I would just, I would lose my mind. And it's, you know, just the, just because there's no, uh, openness it's just all right there and you're and while i have a blast while i'm there and i love new york but uh it's just i've got to have sunlight and fresh air and you know it's like when i see people walking their dogs on the con con concrete sidewalks and the you know and then what little grass there is is in this little park that's like maybe 50 by 50 it's like and then when i heard the you know of course i heard the song long before i ever went to new york but it was uh, it really hit me that the, the, this song has so much more to say about, you know, let's let's stop. We just have to, to let's take a step back. We're, we're, we're rushing to to a goal that is not there. 
<laughs> my dogs love this park too. Oh, it's fantastic. They heard about a park. We're going to the park. Yeah. Hey, Josh, where, yeah, yeah Josh. They heard the P P R K word. And hey, Josh, where are you where are you moving? Oh, I'm moving to New York City. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I think it's one of the best you cities in the world. You're, I've you're, lived in LA 14 years and I'm, I'm over, I need that rush. I need that, you know, as a comic, it's like to be able to do 16 sets in a week and, and really reach my full potential is more important to me than, than the laid back style of Los Angeles. I love it here, but we you know, were, yeah, Josh, I, you know what? I, I agree with you 1000% on that. We were 30 years in LA and uh, I, I just, it was one of those you had to do it, but comedically, New York was so much more fertile, uh, you know. And and, and I got to be honest, and not to I don't I'll tell you this is a story that this is what I didn't understand about LA, and I didn't play the the game, which probably helped me in a way, but also might have hurt me. Was I remember when I first moved to LA? I was uh, we had just had a baby, my wife and I had a baby. And I was getting spots at the improv at like 1.20, 1.30 in the morning. And one night, Bud Friedman was there. And I just said, hey, Bud, I said, listen, I really appreciate the spots you're giving me. But I got a baby at home and I can't be coming out at 1 o'clock. He goes, okay. Next thing I know, I'm getting 8.30, 8.45. Nice. And the rest of the comments were like, how'd you get this? I go, I just ask him. <laughs> you know, it was like, but I think I think for, uh, for a comedic trap, for a, a, a comedian to really – and I would tell this to new comics that you got to be in New York. You got You got to You can go. You can. I, I have a friend that he's to this day. He'll do six, 10 minute spots in one night, you know, and, and it's just all within work a, out, a, work out a bit. You you start the night yeah. with, with a bit as a premise. And next thing you know, you got a fully formed bit yeah. by the end of the night. And and listen, this is this is also like everything you just said is 100 percent about the city. And that's something that. I have thought about because I have a, you know, an 80 pound Doberman that's five years old that I take to the park in the Hollywood Hills every day. Right. Um, but what's great about it is that I can always come back and I'm going to be yeah. splitting time because there's so much work here in Los Angeles that, you know, it's just, right. it's just, it's like, you know, to be able to get, I think as a comic, it's like, there's so much, I know my potential and I feel like with my credits in this town, I have hit it. And I, I'm a regular at the store. I'm a regular right. at the improv. I'm a regular at the Laugh Factory. But I'm not. But it's like I want more. And I yeah, want. If to you're grow. not challenging yourself, you're not going to grow. And I'll. And you know it. You know because you've you've seen it. Some of those writers from New York are some of the best comedic writers out oh. there. And we can perform our asses off in L.A. But if I can equal my performance up to my right, if I can get my writing up to my performance, you know. It's right. I'm going to have that Led Zeppelin moment like you. I'm going to look out at the airplane. It's going to be a Cessna, but I mean, I'll hey, be getting on the airplane. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because the more we talk and the more I, uh, while you're talking, I'm listening to the lyrics in my head. And I don't know, I don't believe that there was a, this was a, like a, a, they weren't judging people in this song. It yeah. was kind of just like, this is what he saw for the first time. And if you and I, I think that there's a, a real magic about seeing New York for the first time. Oh, 100 uh, percent. It's like it's almost like 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 Las Vegas. It's like you can't even imagine Las Vegas until you've been there. Mm -hmm. And the same was with uh, when I was in New York. And you know, I was I tell you a funny story. Uh, back in the 80s, uh, Good Morning America did this comedy special. And I'm, how they found me, I don't know. But I was listed as one of the top up and coming comics. I think I'm, uh, and it, I wish I could remember who else was on the show, but they flew, ABC flew us out there. 
uh, you know, Gail and I are rubes from Texas uh, where we were born. She lived in West Texas and we got put up at the St. Moritz on the park. And I remember a, we went to order room service and a hamburger was $15 and a cheeseburger was $20. And I remember thinking, what kind of cheese is this? Five, $5 a slice. <laughs> and we went to Tavern on the Green and all that. But uh, we were there on Labor Day and they, the concierge says, oh, the Labor Day parade is going to be coming right down the street here. I went, hey, I'm thinking Macy's, you know, this is going to be. It was just union guys walking with flags. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> yeah. But I, I, but to tell, you know, I think in, in, in Mona Lisa's and Manhattan's, I, I really feel like this was Bernie's first impression of, of New York in the sense that you don't, and you, until you've been there, you don't, I, people think I make a, but literally there are parts of that town that the sun never directly hits just because oh, yeah. of all the sky risers and all this stuff. And, and the, and the, People and I love the people of New York. A because they don't put up a lot. They don't want BS. They just want you know get to the point. And some people perceive that as being rude. And I said they just cutting the fat. You know, cut the fat, man. Tell it and also say it. Say it to your face and not behind your back. I love that. But, you know, it's funny. The last time I was at the Gotham City Comedy Club in New York, yeah. Uh, I, my opening joke was I said I said I've learned three things about New York today. I said I learned a you never wait for the little walking man to cross the street on the light. You never ask where the Statue of Liberty is and you don't ever walk into a deli and go, um, let me see. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. You know, but, uh, and I think that Bernie really captured New York in this song. I mean, I really think that there's without being, being detrimental or, 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 or against it, it's like, this is just what I saw, you know, people, because if you've, you know, if you guys have been there, People, yeah. dude, people are, I mean, it's a sea of people walking the whole place, the whole time. Yeah. Just a quick really reminder, is. Bernie was born in like a like a house with no electricity. He really yeah. is. He is the brown dirt cowboy. You know, there's that, you know, they have that record later. But he really comes from a rural, look at yours, a, a, a rural part of England. He was yeah. like, he is as much, I mean, you said rube. I don't mean that as a pejorative. But no, no, he no. Was, no absolutely you know he was like three years younger than elton he was 17 when they started their career and had just come off the farm so all that honky-tonk chasing frogs and stuff that's bernie's life up until he basically comes to the city like i write lyrics so i you know i want want, you you have to just remember that none of that's a put on his americana and all that stuff is he felt an affinity so he came to new york literally like stevie wonder and living for the city like Wow, just like I pictured it, like looking yeah. up at buildings. Yeah, and dude. Probably got his wallet taken, and that was yeah, me I at mean, like that was me at like eleven years old going there with my family. I remember, oh, yeah. like, I thought it was the coolest place in the world. And I'm from the I'm from the East Coast. It's like it just it'd be all the comics out there because I've been there most of the year already, and everybody's just like, you should be here. Like this, you you look like you're at home, and I'm like, no, I really feel like I am. And like I said, I get to come back to L.A. twice a month for the goddamn comedy jam and for my main room show at the comedy store. So I get to enjoy the fruits of Los Angeles. Like, like so instead of like going on the road for a weekend, I can make the same money here in L.A. in, in three days. Right. So right. it's great. So it's great. All right. More do you have anything you want to add? Yeah. You know what? When you said when Elton Bernie got back together, there was something really cool on the Reg Strikes Back album in 1988. They did uh, Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's part two. If you guys get a chance, it revisits it again. So I think. Oh, that's right. They did. I do remember that because I have that album. I've got every Elton John album, by the way. (laughs) On vinyl? 
Oh yeah, well please. Okay, Even leather good. jackets. Good, yeah. you're you're a fan. That's why I love Brown it. Brown Bear Cowboy could be one of the greatest album covers ever. All right, so we have to mention the final song on the record, Hercules. Uh, it's a great way to close the record. I, yep. I think, in my opinion, I really think he should have ended it with Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatters. I, I think that would have been a really, really beautiful way to end the record. But I get it because this is upbeat. The record is kind of funkier. It's you know you start with a funky thing, you end with a funky thing. I can't live Hercules. Three months after this record, he legally changed his name to Elton John. Um, and what is his middle name? As anybody knows now, Hercules. Are you serious? His name is Elton Hercules John. Are you, is this a joke it. or is this like, Absolutely this is a true. real Absolutely. thing Absolutely. on his, right. on wow. his, his 2020 yeah. tax Absolutely. form, it says Elton Hercules John. God bless yeah, his soul. He, yeah. if, if anybody pays taxes. Oh. <laughs> at that, at that rate. Wrong. <laughs> what's your billionaire wrong. yeah what's your billionaire man all right well let's do some facts and let's get out of here all right what do you got okay so the first experience at the chateau was so favorable that they did their next two albums there as well um and another reason for recording there was financial i mean Josh, you might not know this, but I'm sure Bill knows this. The Rolling Stones did exile on Main Street in France because they were trying to, in England, there was this really restrictive tax law, which was like, you had to pay like 90% if you did like a thing. So you got like a tax exile. So you got like a year and anything you recorded or anything that you did as a job, you would pay whatever the tax rate was in the country you did it in. And France had a very low tax rate at the time so not only did elton go you know to the to the chateau to do this he was also dodging having to pay all that money and then people would pick what they thought would hopefully be their best year yeah and then do that thing there so they would dodge over there and that's when they would do it so it's about the exact same time in 72 that the stones are doing exile nice that nice. he was doing this all right so we asked all of our guests this what was the first big thing you bought when you made some real money oh wow um Okay, I bought a Mazda Miata convertible. Nice. <laughs> that must have been the shit back then when you bought it. That I, was like... I had just come out with it. And I'll never forget when my first <laughs> album went platinum, uh, I got my first record check. And we it was an amount that I was just like, there's got to be something wrong here. Yeah. Uh, and so I have a picture on my, uh, I wish I had it here. It's me holding the, the residual check. And I've got a, a like a, uh, and I've got like a lighter, like like I'm gonna. <laughs> and my wife was freaking out. She goes, "We haven't deposited that check yet. Don't you do that?" But yeah, it was. I wasn't ready for you know, and I was really lucky, Josh, in the sense that when here's your sign hit, it was still a mom and pop radio. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it wasn't like a, a corporation making a decision for 60 stations. If mom and pop liked your song, I remember in Vegas, I got played 80 to 100 times a week. The Just for a comedian is insane. And now you, one guy doesn't like it. He cuts you out of 60, 70 radio stations. Uh, so I was really lucky in that sense. And also, I will tell you an interesting story about my music. When Here's Your Sign went gold. Uh, they called me and they said, you've certified gold. Do you, uh, do you want us to put it on a CD? And I said, no, I want the LP. 
So they made up a gold LP for Here's Your Sign, the nice. album, which is great. Nice, nice. You still got the Miata? No, the Miata's gone. <laughs> oh, I actually, you want to hear this, how stupid I am. I sold it, and then what I bought was a 1972 Volkswagen bus. So yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome, dude. Come on, you want from the smallest car and from the biggest car? I love yeah, that. Yeah. All yeah. right, uh, what else you got, Morty? I'll, I'll 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 hit these real quick. So Rocket Man's obviously been covered countless times. Uh, it's also obviously the name of his biopic. You know, that's how important this this was to him. And also Rocket Records was his vanity label. He started a little later with Bernie and Gus Dudgeon. He started record Neil Sedaka, a lot of the Kiki D, a lot of the stuff that came out was on Rocket Records. Um, the covers of this, a few notable ones, Kate Bush, who loved this song, did this for the Bernie and Elton tribute album in 1990. And Jim Carrey actually joined Elton on stage in 98 for a duet. Um, Jim's contribution was uh, smashing his head against the piano keys. So you can already probably figure it out that went. I mean, I still think it's better than Shatner's version. Um, and then uh, this is to me like the most touching thing. So we didn't touch on this, but there was a lot of space exploration going on at the time that the song was written. Also, their Apollo missions were still going on, you know, uh, going in there. But also what people forget is uh, Elton and Bernie, they were very aware that David Bowie had had a 1969 song called Space Oddity. Mm -hmm. You know, because it was also produced by Gus Dudgeon, by the way, who did it, uh, uh, who did that record as well. In fact, the success of Rocket Man had Bowie's record company re-release his song in 1973, which became his first U.S. hit. So the version we know is not the version that actually came out in when he had the Afro and everything in 1969. It's the version that we know as Space Oddity, which was helped along by Rocket Man. And then to oh, wow. tie this whole story up is... After Bowie you think died, Major Tom had any? Yeah. Uh, do you think the the writing of Major Tom would have? That's it. Any... Space Oddity. That's the yeah. song. Yeah. Yeah. So that you know, he's Bernie and Elton have denied that it had anything to do with that version because there was that 1970 song by by a uh, uh, pearls before what is it pearls before swine who had done it, but uh, to tie this up, you know, because Elton has said they weren't very close, but they obviously knew each other. Whatever. Um, after Bowie died, Elton played. Uh, he paid a tribute to him by merging the two songs together. Oh, wow. Performance, which I, I bet that was, I would have loved to have heard that. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. That, that, that gave me chills when I did that. Um, by the way, just one tangent for this, the three of us have, have something in common. Speaking of merging songs, all three of us are DJs or have been well, DJs. Well, was, I'm retired from I the know. wedding uh, circuit and the strip club DJing circuit. I was going to say, well, yeah, my, my, my DJing involved the phrase, gentlemen, get out your wallets, here me comes too. Yeah. <laughs> Me <laughs> too, <laughs> dude. I, was, I worked, I mean, that's what got, the reason I'm here is because I, I could be a strip club. a lot club. of Van Halen and ACDC. <laughs> oh, dude, you were a strip club DJ during the era that I should have been a strip club DJ. Oh, because, my God. Because mine, every song just sounded the same. It was just, get a money, 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 oh money, no! Money. Oh, this was yeah. You were like was heavy, heavy rock and roll. <laughs> <buddy. laughs> All right, everybody, it's it's DJ Bill taking you through going it's, the it's back boom and... boom time. <laughs> yeah. Dude, yeah. I, if it ain't seven inches green and wrinkled, we don't want to see it. One last thing is this: this ties for me. I'm getting on a plane. I hate flying. I'm getting on a plane because you guys are talking about we get on a plane and you might not come home. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, I got to fly out this weekend. I'm actually going to be DJ. I can say this now because this won't air until after. 
I'm going to, I'm DJing the party for Richard Branson flying into space to be in the first like civilian. So I, I didn't you know, know they're going to want to hear Rocket Man. I'm going to play it and I'm going to play Space Oddity and I'm going to play Major Tom by Peter Schilling and I'm going to play Diodato, the 2001 Space Oddity. I'm going to play everything. But I was just like, every time we talked, I said, what, what an apropos record to do today for us That's to talk funny. about. This. That's so yeah. cool. What a cool gig, dude. That's my first time out back again. After nah, this man, you deserve it. Morty's an incredible DJ. Morty, I had Morty make a list. When we, me and you really started becoming homies, uh, I was like, can you make me just a list of songs that like, because the reason I'm doing this podcast, Bill, is because I, I just don't know so many records. And so I know the artists, I know the hits, but I don't know the records. And that's where right. the real music is. And so I was like, Morty, make me a playlist. And dude, I was like, I figured it would be like 20 songs. Dude, it was like 378. Like it came on a zip no, disc. A giver. And then, yeah. a giver. So what we do? <laughs> and it was, and it was, I will tell you this, that when I DJed though, Morty, it was headphone here and you had the oh, LP yeah. and you had to find the beat. And uh, if you I were off, vinyl. it sounded like hell. Did oh, you ever yeah, scratch it? Was it ever? Was no, there ever? We, weren't, we weren't scratching at that point. Not it scratching. Was, no, 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 no. But was ever like a record scratch and it started skipping oh, while the yeah. girl was on oh, the ball? Yeah. Or there would be the occasional girl that made her way to the sound booth and hit the, hit the yeah. arm of the... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah dude. <laughs> I had that. Kids today don't have to worry about bumping uh, drunk people. No, <laughs> I, I, I think in my deal, I, I end up disco DJ at a disco and that was that I could write a book about just because uh, I love that. It, it seemed like it, at the time I was there, every other girl that came, came up could, hey, can you play Whip It by Devo? And I'm like, I just played it like two minutes ago, honey. Well, I got these. Like, okay, we're playing Whip It again. Here it goes. <laughs> dude, <laughs> Whip dude, it I, good. Whip I, it great. I, I, I wish the girls would have requested Devo at the club that I DJ'd at because it would be like, play that Lil Wayne song, Bitches Love Me. And I was like, oh, I just yeah. played it oh, eight geez. times. I was like, <laughs> you know, that's Isis's song. That's Isis's song. Right. <laughs> Amarina or whatever your oh, name is. the classics. Um, that is so great. Morty, thank you for bringing I had oh, no idea that Bill was a strip club DJ. There's a, we're in the brotherhood, almost like the Elk Lodge of, of there's something of your strip club DJ it's it's you've been you know, through the, you've been through the fields you've been dude i'll tell you right now one of the craziest memories i've ever had of being in the dichotomy of life and of being of being a a, a strip club dj and then being a comic is uh what in november 2015 uh my show the goddamn comedy jam sold out gramercy theater it was the hottest show at the new york comedy festival with bill burr and hannibal burris and big jail because it was just in, the hardest ticket to get and the next night we jammed at madison square garden my band with Bill Burr right before he headlined Madison Square Garden. He like, you know, he rented equipment and we jammed and then, you know, I opened for him and it was this incredible thing. Wow. And then the next week, the next week, literally at the same time, I was being screamed at by a dancer for playing the wrong song on her second song in the set. And I was just like, this is like, like, please, yeah. dear God, get me the fuck yeah. out of here. I'm sorry, Bambi. It was a mistake. It was a mistake, Bambi. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Here's <laughs> your, your clear heroes look beautiful tonight. All right. Yeah. Rapid fire questions and you're out okay. of here, dude. All right. Favorite song on the record? Uh, Mona Lisa's and Matt Hatter's. Okay, perfect. Least favorite song on the record? Uh, Hercules. Okay. All right. What song on this record? Would you have sex to? Oh, 
Uh, <laughs> Rocket Man. Yeah, dude. It's going to be a long, long time, dude. It's going to be a long, Look, long day. Right. It's going to be a long, long time. The older we get, it's going to be a longer, longer time. All right. Now, this is a, this is one that I, I think is, is apt for this. Who is more important, Elton or Bernie? Wow. Uh, you know what? I, I don't think I can answer. I, I, I'd say it's 50-50. Uh, although, no, I'm, you know what? I'm going to take that back. I'm going to say Bernie because Bernie's lyrics were so wonderful and so thought provoking. And I'm not saying any musician could have done it, but writing, uh, I think, is just is, and I maybe this comes from being a comedian, but I wish I had that thing in me that I could write comedy like Bernie wrote lyrics, you know, like, like where yeah. you just get that really hip reference and nobody, you know, and it, and it, but yet people get it and they're laughing, but you're not just doing poop and fart jokes. Yeah. But, but it, let's be honest, a poop they and sell. fart joke. <laughs> that, that'll, that'll get you a Miata, bro. Blue like, collar, yeah. baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. And then the, the last question, does this record deserve to be on the 500 greatest albums list? Uh, not only yes, but I think it should be in the top five. Really? Wow. Yeah. I think it was just such that good of an album uh, that he was willing to listen. That record could have failed, could have failed miserably. Mm -hmm. uh, and he would have been doing just what he's doing. But I think that record is so good that not only did it transform the way he, he does music anymore, but uh, I think it also transformed his audience. And I think that, uh, when I want to put a record in the top 500, it's not like, oh, how good's the music? It's like, what does the record say? Yeah. Does, does, yeah. does the record have a uh, thing that's going to appeal to me? And I think that Honky uh, Chateau appealed to uh, such a massive audience uh, that you, you, it's like, it's kind of like to me, it's like when you're voted Time Magazine's person of the year, it's not because you're known or famous. It's, have you done something that's good for society or have you done something that's memorable and Honky Chateau is, uh, in my mind, one of the most memorable albums ever. Uh, it actually moved up on the newer list uh, to 251. Thank you, Adam. God, you're so good, yeah. Adam. So quiet and regal up there in looks. the corner and in what seems to be like a, a comic book store in the back room. <laughs> yeah, of a, so 359. <laughs> see, that means to be there's, 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 and I'm sure if I looked at the list, I'd be, and that's the, again, the beauty of music. I'd be like, what is that one doing on here? That, that, oh, yeah. Uh, well, the, list is, the, list changed, <laughs> the list has changed so much, the 2020 to the 2012 list. How many other Elton records are on this list coming up? Do we know? I don't have that, but let me remind you, seven consecutive yeah. number one albums. But I mean, just I want you to put that into perspective. He went through all of the 70s. We already did a record of his that wasn't number one, which is the re two records before this is Tumbleweed Connection. There's like Mad Men. So this is the first of seven consecutive number ones. Like his career was set forever based on this output of records. And that's before he even got to Lion King and before he got to like this other stuff, you know, which, you know, had brought him. I mean, it, it, the output, just think of that level that nobody else that you can think of had. They put out records, Prince put out records, Madonna put out records, you know, Whitney Houston put out records, seven consecutive yeah. number no, you're ones. Right. That's well, right. you know, I tell you what, one of my favorite uh, of Elton John's and it's very obscure is the friends album. Yeah. Right before Great song yes. on that one. Another Good. one of the ones from the four albums that came out in 71. Yeah. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, it's outrageous. And listen, 11, 17, 70. Yeah, oh, that, yes, that was, that's the record. That's the one Dude, that really, we, yeah. Well, we, I, that I was listening to the that. Kibitz Room. That's no, literally what we based the Kibitz Room on. You were the one that told me about to listen to that. We were doing Tumbleweed Connections, and I was like, yeah, this is this is, this is is why he's the shit. This is why everybody, Yeah. because it's like when you're, when you're my age, it's like you look, you, all you really know is the Lion King and, you know, and I'm still standing, which rules. Yeah. All of that rules. But it's this stuff. It's this seventies. This this is really. It was just a better, better era for, for a lot of things. And, and my Elton dogs John are is, disagreeing with you. Uh, they're, they're, they're like, <laughs> like we like we love. I want love. And you're like, okay, I get it. It was good. It was good. Uh, Bill, this was. I can't thank you enough because this, oh, was, this so was so phenomenal. much fun, guys. That, this that was so, so phenomenal. Nice, I, I love these things where I get to get out of Bill the comedian skin and talk about things that are important in my life. And, and uh, Elton John is a, a huge portion of my life. Uh, he's my go-to when I want to hear something. And, and I think that's the thing that's great about him is like, it doesn't matter what my mood is, whether I'm in the mood for rocket man or the bitches back or captain fantastic and the brown dirt cowboy Elton John's catalog, uh, catalog of hits yeah. can pretty much fit any mood I'm in. Yeah. I believe that. Not I mean, many artists can do that. No, I, I completely agree. I think the Beatles were up there, and and I mean, there's there's not a lot. So I I can't uh, thank you enough for coming on because this was a perfect episode. It's my honor, and I'm, I'm honored to be in your your list of uh, guests. Thank you, brother. Uh, anything you want to promote, please go ahead. Uh, there's a, I got a show coming out called Blue Collar Auction. Uh, it's kind of a American Pickers meets uh, Barrett Jackson. Nice. Uh, so it's going to be kind of cool. Some cool uh, where it's, it's going to be an auction show, but it's, it's not like, uh, you know, it's going to be just what, like if you had a car that you say, let's say you had the, a night rider kind of car that, you know, that, uh, what do they call it when they, they're similar, uh, the uh, knockoff, but you want to sell it and it's just whatever you think you can get for it. And we try to auction it off. And so we'll see. And other than that, I'm getting back on the road, which I'm thrilled about. I'll be, nice. uh, Coming in July, I don't know when this is going to air, but I'll be uh, I'll be in Valdosta, Georgia, and uh, Ashland, Kentucky. Nice, uh, and and we'll promote we'll promote your website at the beginning and at the end of the episode as well. Uh, Morty, anything you got? Absolutely, and I want to thank you, Bill. Also, you said some kind words about George Carlin. Uh, I know. Oh, they, he was. Yeah, yeah. You spoke. That's my daughter's middle name for George because that's how important he was to me. And so I was so happy to see that he chose you because, you know, maybe you're not the first thought that that would be there, but the fact that they went to you and you paid homage to him was such, uh, such if, an important If you're thing a comedian, me. you have to tip your hat to George Carlin was so far ahead of his time. Uh, in fact, it's funny. You listen to old George Carlin and look at what's happened politically now. And you go, absolutely. He was oh, pretty much right on. <laughs> he was right Absolutely. on. Absolutely. So um, I, I am available. You find me on Twitter at DJ Morty Coyle. Go, my daughter and I sing on uh, Instagram. It's B and Daddy Cartoons. We've done Elton. We've done everything. You guys will love that. Um, we sing uh, Tuesday nights. Uh, that's why I'm a little hoarse. Tuesday nights, Fokker Force 5 on Facebook Live, about eight ish uh, Pacific Standard Time. I wanted okay. to give a big shout out to Andy, Wooden Beard Nerd. That is his Twitter handle, Wooden Beard Nerd. What's up, Andy? He was just talking about today. He's a Patreon member, and he uh, and he was talking about how happy he is, excited to listen to the next episode. He's going to love this episode as well. So shout out to Andy. Thank you guys so much for uh, all you guys for Patreon subscribing and for uh, keeping us on social media. Ask us stuff, tell us stuff. We'd love to be a part of it. Loop Bill in. I'm sure we can have some fun <laughs> on social media, but Did for sure. 
This was great. Bill, thank you, buddy. Thanks, guys. Peace. What did I tell you, everybody? What did I tell you? The one and only Bill Engvall. Follow Bill on all social media at Bill Engvall. And for all things Bill, go to his website, BillEngvall.com. Man, I loved him. All right. So we just listened to Elton John from 1972. And for our new music pick this week, it was submitted by listener John Maloney. Thank you, John. Guess what you're listening to? It's Wilmot Red. The blues rock band from Marblehead, Massachusetts. You made that place up, Marblehead. And they love themselves some Elton John. You're listening to My Own Way of their debut album, Washington Street, released this past April. And you can find links to the music on our website, the500podcast.com. Guys, this is why we do the show, to help launch bands like this. If you're in a band... You want your music played on the 500? Send us your song to 500podcasts at gmail.com. Ooh, guess who's up? Next week, guys. I got him tattooed on my right arm. Miles Davis. That's our first one. First Miles record. Who's the guest going to be? Probably going to be a good one. I hope. Uh, We're doing 1960s Sketches of Spain. That's the stuff he did with Gil Evans. So get to listening. Stay fleecy. Google do it.
Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind, uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life. Uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. Next Chapter Podcasts.